When we share someone's story here on The Diaries, the episode might end, but their story doesn't. So many of the people we've talked to, they've gone on to do incredible things. They have epic adventures and make significant impacts in our community. Over on Diaries Plus, we're catching up with some of our former guests to see what they've been up to. I recently sat down with Connor Ryan, a Lakota professional skier from our Sacred Slopes episode, who's been knocking out groundbreaking projects ever since the episode aired. It's really incredible. We had a great discussion about the impacts he's made, what keeps his fire burning, and taking ski lessons as a pro skier. Here's a snippet of the conversation. All the source of joy that I use to fill my cup to be out in the world doing positive things comes from my relationship to the outdoors. And so I really focused on like, wow, like there's so much power if I can give one person the relationship to the outdoors that that I have through skiing. And maybe that will have as profound of an effect on them as it's had on me. To listen to the full episode, use the link in the show notes to subscribe to Diaries Plus today. Yeah, you get more shows, but you also have a peace of mind of powering what's out there right now, keeping us moving forward, keeping this community together. So thank you for everyone who supported and everyone who's going to support. We appreciate it. All right, everyone's recording? Yep, yep recording. Yep. Cool. All right, who do we have? Let's hear it. Who's here? I'm Becca Kahal. I'm Lisey Hendricks, executive producer on Climbing Gold. I'm Lauren Delaney Miller, producer for The Diaries. All right, Cord, what what, what are we actually doing here right now, Cordelia? I was going to ask you that. Why are we recording? <laughs> why are we recording our meeting today? Well, okay. So the other week we had one of our regular staff calls. We do them every week, and um, usually we like I don't know. It takes twenty five minutes, thirty minutes, and the call like totally turned into an hour and a half and we could just couldn't stop talking and laughing. And it was because, uh, one of you out there, one of our listeners pitched us this awesome idea. And you wrote in, I think that you should do something like what you do with the tales of terror, but with funny stories. And somehow the topic of the most bizarre places we've ever slept, uh, (laughs) came up and, it turned out all of us had a story and they were all intriguing and we were cracking ourselves up and we thought, hey, why don't we try to share this? We thought the person who pitched us that was really onto something. And so we decided to run with it. So today we're going to do something a little bit different. Uh, we're going to have a little, I don't know, we'll call it a campfire chat about this topic, the weirdest places you've ever slept as a dirtbag. And we're going to share some stories, and then we want to hear yours. Post about it once you hear this. Tag us. Send us an email. You can record a two-minute voice memo and tell us your story. We know you've got some. I'm Fitzcall. I'm Cordelia Zars. And you're listening to The Dirtbag Diaries. The weirdest place I've ever slept. That, like, oh, 
there's there's some good ones, but I think I think the one that stands out recently is I I a few years ago I did the um the Oregon Timber Trail, which is the this bike ride across Oregon. And the beginning of the trail, like there's ever, you know, what everyone was saying, it was like really hard. And so I was like, okay, I'm going super light. Like I, I, I trimmed everything down. I really had almost nothing that I was carrying and it was pretty warm out. And I, so I like ditched a tent. I was like, no tent, you know, I'm out there for a month. I'm just going to try it fully. Like no tent. It's not that bad. And I got to which like I, one, which I remember you saying, you're like, I'm going to leave the tent behind. And I was like, really? The, t- the tent? <laughs> like, that seems like kind of a key piece of gear, but okay. <laughs> yeah. Especially I, well, in Oregon. I don't, uh, yeah. I don't know. Right. Whatever. Anyway. So I made that call. That was obviously, you can tell where this is going and it was not the right call. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> but uh, I remember like the second night in, I like had had just a huge, a pretty big day. Like I don't, you know, I'd ridden 40 miles and it was big. And I, I rolled up and it was like this beautiful meadow, meadow at this trailhead. And I thought, oh, this would be great. You know, I made dinner outside. And then it was like, and it was all good. There was like a little breeze, no bugs, like perfect. And the sun went down and I've, ne- it was like, it wasn't the worst mosquitoes I've ever experienced, but it was, it was top 10. Like it wasn't Everglades bad. It wasn't like, you know, the Arctic bad, but it was bad. And, and I'm like in the sleeping bag, it's still summer. So it's kind of warm. And, you know, you get that feeling of being like, I'm trying to like cover my head with the sleeping, you know, just like getting so deep inside <laughs> the sleeping bag, but being hot and you're just like, this is miserable. And like, all of a sudden, I think at some point I was like, I'm just sleeping in the outhouse. Like, that, <laughs> that was like, like, I was like, I am going to sleep in the outhouse on the floor, like curled in the corner, like in a ball. And this is like totally clearly the right choice. Like, and and it was like a better choice, and I don't know that. How bad that, did it smell in there? I don't care. It, <laughs> it didn't matter, and I it was like dark enough that I did, wasn't looking too closely at the floor. I just was like, F- it. Like it's like this is what needs to be done in order to deal with this situation. Like it just there was not. I don't know. It was like I maybe I was desperate, and I remember in the morning, like actually like waking up and just there were just like these giant spiders everywhere too, Ugh. and. Yeah, it was not, it was not a good night of sleep. I feel like some of the weirdest sleeping positions, postures, places happen on the road. And I, Becca, you have, you have a story about being in a car and having an interesting experience well i mean i think that that's part of it right it's like you're driving a lot you're like traveling around i mean at that like point in my life i was living in ski towns for some and then like coming back to my mom's house in california for a little bit and then going and doing something else for the summer so it was kind of like this constant moving and in that constant moving tended to have a lot of stuff in the car and one time after one of the ski seasons i'd been in red rock for a week and was climbing with friends and was going to start making my way back to California. And I was like, okay, I'm going to wake up early and I want to drive through Death Valley. You know, so got up at like 5.30 and hit the road. And it wasn't a long, a long drive, but I figured, oh, well, going through national parks, it always takes a little bit longer. And I want to stop at the visitor center and do that. And about like half an hour into the drive, I was like, oh man, I do not 
feel good. And like half an hour later, pulled over to the side of the road and was like puking. And then proceeded to puke for the next like four hours as I was like making my way. I mean, it's like a two hour drive to Death Valley from Vegas of like puking, stopping, collecting myself. And I just remember getting to one, the Death Valley Visitor Center and like laying on, you know, the concrete, like, you know, divider at the visitor center, not the divider, but the, you know, like around the planters and just laying there and this guy coming up to me and being like, are, are you okay? I was like, yeah, yeah, I've just been, I think I have food poisoning or something. So I had been hoping to make it to, to Bishop, but kind of just of like, that day of being like, what can I find to eat? And also kind of being in this place where you're driving on roads and there's not like a ton of gas stations and being like, I, like what is going to make me feel better right now? Like nothing other than to stop puking. And I was originally going to go to Bishop and camp out at the buttermilks. And I was like, I can totally do this. And I got to Lone Pine. And I was like, I don't want to drive anymore. And I don't think I want to puke in my tent all night. So <laughs> I just got pulled up and was like, shitty motel. Yep, that is definitely the answer right now. Don't care. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, I can take a shower. And if I need to keep getting sick, like, I, it will be very easy. So fortunately, then I was just able to, like, rest and got up the next morning. It was like, okay, now I'm driving all the way home. So. Oh, my God. I'm curious, like, like for people, does anyone have, like, what's, like, the weirdest place you've ever, like, rented or, like, living dwelling space, not a outhouse or a, a planter a death valley like what's the weirdest sort of living situation any of you have ever had okay so when we started having this conversation i felt like overwhelmed with places that i'd slept that were worth talking about but at first i was only thinking about like single nights of sleep like most beautiful most outrageous or like most terrible single nights of sleep But then we started talking and I realized, oh, there are some terrible places where I've slept like night after night after (laughs) night and paid to sleep there. And and one of these places uh, is my favorite. And this is a place called the Guide Shack, which is kind of infamous in Estes Park, Colorado lore, home to at one point or another famous dirtbags like Chris Caloose, Kelly Cordes, right? Classic dirtbags. And so when I got to live in the guide shack as an intern for the Colorado Mountain School many years ago, I felt like this was a palace. Like you'd made it. Like you I basically- totally made it. This was it. <laughs> this was like my big moment. Uh, and it was only like $50 a month, which in retrospect is like way too much. <laughs> <laughs> but I just thought it was like such a good deal. And But like, so the the... The ridiculousness kind of started on the first day. And I'd spent the whole winter in Big Sky, Montana, skiing, and had driven to Estes Park. And it wasn't until I was like parked outside in the middle of the night, finally having gotten to Colorado, that I realized I'd never lived alone before. (laughs) So, like, I become instantly terrified um, (laughs) just based on, oh, I'm going to sleep somewhere for the first time by myself ever. And so I find the key, which is under a rock, very obviously. But of course, like, it doesn't really matter because if you just push on the door hard enough, like, it'll open anyway. It's like an interior hollow core door. Um, This is not like a, this whole place is made of plywood 
and you realize that really quickly because it's windy in Estes Park and you can always feel the breeze inside even if nothing is open. (laughs) And so anyway, I go in and I'm kind of like tiptoeing around, turning the lights on. It has electricity. It does not have running water. And anyway, there's two bedrooms and like this big living room. And I go into the back bedroom and just checking things out and like so scared I think I'm going to faint because sticking out from under the bed is a pair of boots and these boots are attached to legs and um I like I want to cry because I have no idea what's going on and I'm so scared that I don't even investigate I just slam the door and go into the other room and like try to go to sleep (laughs) like I just because like no one's up there I'm all by myself right I'm interning for the Colorado Mountain School I kind of trying to keep the show together at the Estes Park office, the, the main office, and everyone else there lives in Boulder or down in the Front Range. And so I don't even investigate. I just shiver in my bed all night wondering what's going on. And then it's not even until the morning that I'm like, okay, I'm going to figure out what's going on. And like I go in there and I crouch down to look under the bed and I realize that it's an avalanche dummy, like a life-sized avalanche dummy that is being used right in to practice burials and things, recoveries and things like that. So I'm like, oh my God. And I just tuck it fully under the bed so that I don't have to see it anymore and never even get to the, how, I never know, like did someone wait, put how that did you there? Sleep? How did you sleep the first night? Oh, I didn't like, sleep at all. Like, okay. I didn't sleep at all. I just <laughs> laid there thinking about the boots under the bed and feeling like I should go check it out. But then thinking like, okay, but when I realize that it's a body, like what am I going to do? And realizing that I just have no plan. And so I just can't, I just can't investigate. And so things like this like keep happening over the time that I'm there. People stay there like temporarily while they're guiding in Estes Park and leave. And so there's always kind of like people coming in and out. And mostly I love it though, because summers in Estes Park are really nice. Um, But then I decide to spend the winter there in the shack. which I think is quite rare. And um, I didn't realize really how uninsulated this plywood building is until it's the winter, of course. And so this is a fairly cold place and snowy. And I start to realize that like all my groceries are freezing, right? Like bags of lettuce frozen, milk frozen, all this stuff. And I have to like things that are just sitting out on the counter, butter frozen. And I have to start like keeping everything in the refrigerator because it's warmer in the refrigerator than in the living room. (laughs) And so this is like one of my tools for like how to survive the whole winter in the guy. Was there any heat in there? I had a space heater, (laughs) but like, Definitely enough that I, that winter, got renter's insurance because I felt like for sure I was going to burn the guide shack down with the space <laughs> heater. So I got renter's insurance for the first time ever <laughs> to cover my stuff that I was I definitely in there. think you're probably the most responsible person ever to have rented that <laughs> space. <laughs> I don't think Clues got renter's insurance. I think Kelly probably didn't do that either (laughs) so good on you that's awesome it was it was a special place though I mean you could see Long's Peak out the window right and sometimes you'd hear tapping outside and open the curtains and there would be like elk like peeking into the windows and I mean it was really special to be up there in the mountains but it's definitely the most ridiculous place that I've ever paid anyone (laughs) 
to sleep in. <laughs> I feel like the the other time that this, like this kind of thing happens to you is like traveling, like or especially like when your flights are weird. I don't know if everyone's had that experience of being like, I've arrived. It's 3 a.m. And you like, you can't really get a hotel. Like you're just like in that space where it's just like, I'm just going to walk around for five hours. Or like, <laughs> I just, I feel like I've ended up in strange places traveling. Does anyone have like that experience of you just need to sleep in transit? Yeah, I had an awful experience traveling one time. <laughs> Do tell. Do tell. Great opener. <laughs> Just one time? Well, you know, many times, but (laughs) (laughs) one time in particular was really bad. Um, In 2015, my now husband decided it was a good idea to invite me last minute on a boys trip. Um, Him and two other close guy friends were going to go to Sweden and Norway in the winter and do some dog sledding. Um, scuba dive with orcas. Um, It sounded like an amazing trip. But when he invited me, he was like, I want you to come because I want you to suffer. And I was like, great. (laughs) (laughs) This sounds like a blast. So another thing about my husband is that he's a pilot. And that means that we get to fly for free on occasion. And while that sounds glamorous, Oftentimes, it means that you're doing pretty heinous travel sequences because you're flying on standby. So we had a more heinous than average travel sequence to Stockholm. We land in Stockholm. We've probably been awake for 36 plus hours. And we immediately take this train to northern Sweden. And it's like a 12-hour train ride. Um, It's negative 20 outside. It's freezing cold. And because I wasn't originally supposed to be a part of the trip, they had only booked a train compartment for three people, which means that it had three normal size beds in it. And then it had this one teeny tiny like half space that was above the other beds where you were supposed to put your luggage. And that's where I had to sleep because I was the smallest human on this trip. You were the luggage. (laughs) Yeah. So we get on this train. It's freezing cold. There's no heat. We've had zero sleep. We've been up forever. And I'm sleeping in this top compartment. And everyone that is in the compartment with me has terrible gas because (laughs) (laughs) the only things to eat in Sweden are covered in dairy. And pretty much everyone on this trip has like some sort of issue digesting dairy. And so (laughs) I'm in this train, exhausted, (laughs) sleeping with my knees curled up, like literally every jacket I own on top of me. And the boys around me are just farting the entire night (laughs) in the train. (laughs) just smells terribly. (laughs) And on top of that, it wasn't like a luxury train or anything. I mean, like try to imagine like the lowest of the low (laughs) train possibilities. I mean, everything was like hard, cold, metal. There's no like curtain for the window. You're just seeing like all the train lights all night. It was definitely the worst travel experience I've ever had.
After the break, sleep strategies for big wall climbing and dorm living. Stay with us. Support for the diaries comes from Ketone IQ. As I've been getting more and more into longer runs and bike rides, I found myself fighting with my mind. As the miles extend, I feel like my reactions get slower and I make more mistakes, like tripping or falling or just kind of feeling slightly out of sync descending on the bike. On those big days, I've been using Ketone IQ to help my brain keep fueled and sharp. I want to have fun, not bonk. Here's the science. Ketones already exist in your body. When you push up against your boundaries, your body begins to convert stored fat into ketones, which your brain prefers consuming. With Ketone IQ, I feed my brain so my muscles can use the glucose I get from whatever else I eat on the trail. Riders of the Tour de France have been taking the same approach. I am definitely not as fast, but I can apply the same thinking. Give it a try. You save 30% off your first subscription order at ketone.com backslash dirtbagdiaries. Once again, that's ketone.com backslash dirtbagdiaries. The link is in the show notes. Please check it out. So I feel like my list of ridiculous places slept is long because I feel like I could sleep anywhere, like, but sometimes like too much so, like fall asleep while belaying, check, fall asleep on city buses and end up on the wrong side of Seattle, check, like all these <laughs> things where I'm always just like, this looks like a place that I could sleep even if I'm not really <laughs> Wait, supposed to be sleeping. Has that, has that, has that happened to you? Have you fallen asleep on a bus and then like woken up and been like, where am I? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> oh, my God. Like, multiple like, times. I, yeah, I think at least once on a bus, but I definitely am someone, too, that, like, gets on a plane and is like, this is going to be a great nap, and, like, usually fall asleep before the plane takes off, and often I'm, like, waking up when the plane is landing. So I feel like it's a gift. Like, this is the only thing I bring. This is the only thing I bring to, like, an alpine climbing or like a big wall climbing team really is just that like I will be well rested. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like I have the opposite problem where I'm a really light sleeper. I was like definitely the one who evolved to like stay awake all night to protect the rest of the community (laughs) which is really inconvenient sometimes but um I feel that I feel like that's lent me to some weird sleeping spots because I'll often seek out quietness or solitude um and just be like well screw it i'm just gonna go like sleep in this random spot because at least i don't have to be here so like in college when i was a freshman uh and i had to live in the dorms with three other people in a tiny room and everybody's like awake at all times of night they're boys that live above us who are lacrosse players and so they decide that it's a great idea to have a lacrosse scrimmage in their room every night at two in the morning so there's like the ball bouncing sound right on top of us every night and i was so sick of it and i had also i took a gap year and um was just camp like i lived out of a tent the entire time outside pretty much um and so i was really used to that and we had i went to school in maine and there was like a town commons right behind school right behind campus it wasn't big it was like between the soccer fields and like a neighborhood there was like a small stretch of woods and i was like i'm doing it i'm packing up and i packed up all my backpacking stuff into my backpacking backpack from my dorm room put my hiking boots on went down the stairs like hiked out into the town commons set up my one person tent and like i somehow hit it for like 
a month or more and slept at <laughs> slept out there and nobody nobody bothered me it was delightful I'd like get done with classes I'd do all my homework I'd go eat in the dining hall and then I'd like put on my running shoes and go like run to my tent with my headlamp and go to bed at night in the town commons in this like tiny patch of woods <laughs> behind school <laughs> it was really nice I had to move eventually because that was the year that Hurricane Sandy came in and I was like I think I'm about to get flooded out of my nice little tent spot here in the woods but it was great while it lasted I like how like I it's funny because like I feel like some of that sort of can-do spirit or just like being happy with like really simple but kind of busted things like it's sort of like almost a hard habit to shake because like I remember when we bought our place uh Becca and and like there it was we kind of like we're in a little bit of a desperate situation where like our landlord Becca was like seven months pregnant our landlord was like hey you guys need to be out like basically like 10 days after your due date Becca's due date and it was just like Oh God. And they weren't, they were selling the house. So they weren't going to work with us on timing or anything like that. And it was just like, we went into go mode. Anyway, we buy our house, which we're still in today. And it's, it's a great place. And it was like, but we had, we just didn't have a lot of stuff. Like we moved in there and it was like an empty house almost. Mm -hmm. It sort of felt like realistically. And I remember going out, we've got some storage sheds in the back, which are great for all the gear. But I remember going out into these storage sheds the first night we're there. It's like cold in December. And I walk, I'm like, oh, checking it out because I you know, hadn't seen it before he moved in. And there's like a loft inside the storage shed. And I'm like, man, I could, I could sleep in here. Like, <laughs> I just got this like, whole house. And I'm like walking into this storage shed being like, Damn, that's a, like a cool bivy spot. Like I was just like, yeah. Like I was some, like, uh, you are ridiculous. I was like, I'm for sure sleeping in the house in our bed. Thanks. <laughs> like you can you can make your own decision. I don't know I if this is some like rebellion. Becca, check it out. There's this place we can bivy out in the back. Like like I was like, oh man, that all old habits die hard. Yeah, I feel like for me, the habit, the dirtbag habit that's hard to break is like feeling like you have to be able to sleep in a car. Like if you can't sleep in the car, it is too small of a car. Um, <laughs> because before I lived in the guide shack, and maybe this is helpful context, is that the reason I thought it was so great is because I had been uh, kind of in and out of my SUV at the time, which was a Ford Explorer that I called the Exploder because it was like falling apart all the time. And um, for a while, like, had a dead battery. Um, And I'd been totally just like, I don't want to go to the mechanic. (laughs) Like, it's going to be super expensive. Like, not knowing that you could buy a a battery, like, at the whatever car parts store and they'll put it in for you. And it's not, like, a very expensive deal. I was like, oh, new battery. I'm going to be out hundreds of dollars, which, like, is not true. But I didn't know enough at the time. And so for a while, I had this car that I was living in behind the climbing gym in Boulder and um, it didn't even run (laughs) or like it would run. But every time I needed to go somewhere, I needed to jump it. Um, And like (laughs) I drove it that way to Yosemite, like and I just would be like, oh, I'll just like park very strategically in places where there are other people. I'll turn the car off. I'll go to sleep. And in the morning, I will find someone who will jump my car. (laughs) And like I just for months, for months, I had a car with a dead battery and just thought, meh, this seems kind of unnecessary and like I like parked it in 
the parking lot at Camp 4 and just thought, well, I got it here. Like, I don't need it to <laughs> run anymore. And when I need to go to town to get groceries, I will just find someone to jump my car. And like, this happened all the time. Like, everywhere I went, oh, park at Chautauqua Park, go for a little climb in the Flatirons, come back and just wait for someone to jump, <laughs> to jump in so I could go wherever I was going next. And just like, never, never even thought, like, maybe I should. Maybe I should do something about this. I just totally had factored in, uh, every time I need to go somewhere, just like build in a little extra time. I have jumper cables. All I need is like someone with a couple minutes to spare and just ask them to jump my car for me. And it was probably like that for a year. So by the time I got to the shack, it was like, man, I could just walk into it and sleep in it. I don't even need to do anything. Well, that was pretty awesome. That totally brightened my day. Uh, thank you guys for everyone for, for sharing. And hopefully all of our stories got you guys thinking about some stories that you have about the weirdest places that you've slept as dirtbags. We want to hear them. So post on your Instagram or Facebooks and tag the Dirtbag Diaries. Um, and you can send us a voice memo about your experience. If you have a couple minutes to just record a story on your voice memos, you can send that to editor at dirtbagdiaries.com. You can leave us a comment on our website. Seriously, we can't wait to hear all the stories that you, you've got. All right. Who's ready for the weekend? Woo-hoo. Me! Yeah. <laughs> have a good one, everyone. Thanks for sharing. Music today from Publish the Quest and Brennan O'Connell. The tracks are courtesy of the Artists or Free Music Archive. Jacob Bain and Nice Koto composed our theme song. You can find the links to the artists at our website, dirtbagdiaries.com. This episode was produced by Cordelia Zars with additional production help from Ashley Langholz, Becca Cahal, and me, Fitz Cahal. Illustration by Walker Call, graphics by Anya Miller. Becca Cahal is our executive producer. I'm Fitz, and you've been listening to the Dirtbag Diaries. Thanks for tuning in.